Hi, listeners. A quick reminder that starting April 4th, Unexplained Mysteries will be airing new episodes once a week, every Tuesday. And we're starting these weekly explorations with a thought-provoking month-long special for Earth Day called Dark Green, Earth Crimes and Conspiracies. So be sure to join us every Tuesday, right here, for all new episodes of Unexplained Mysteries. Thanks for listening. Toward the end of the 19th century, a group of Arab villagers ventured out into the wilderness. Their home, in what we call Iraq today, had once been the great ancient city of Babylon. Now it was sparsely populated and incredibly dry. But the people still took pride in their home and planned to find a place where they could plant a palm garden. The band set their sights on a nearby marsh, little more than a useless plot of brackish water and brush. They worked tirelessly to drain the oil-slicked water until finally it was dry enough to walk across. As they wiped away clumps of drying mud, they came across an ancient brick. On its own, this wasn't that unusual. Ancient Mesopotamian cities were often built on the ruins of older settlements. Still, the villagers were intrigued. They picked through the area, finding more bricks along the way. This wasn't some random pile of debris. It was a massive ziggurat, a type of holy pyramid used in ancient Sumer. The discovery ignited the archaeological community, and soon German archaeologist Robert Koldewey arrived on the scene. He and his team spent the next several years excavating the site. By the end of the dig, Koldewey came to a bold conclusion. This was the most hotly debated structure in religious history. The Tower of Babel. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first and only episode on the Tower of Babel, a legendary structure featured in the Book of Genesis. If you take the account literally, it's a lesson on hubris and explains where languages come from. But others see it as a symbolic narrative about the challenges that exiles in a strange land faced. Today, we'll dive into these and other interpretations and try to uncover the truth behind the biblical tale. Then, we'll examine where the Tower of Babel, or the building that inspired the account, actually stood. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Let's begin with a story. Long ago, in ancient times, everyone in the world lived in the Shinar region, also called Babylonia, and its capital was Babylon. The land was ruled by King Nimrod. He was the great-grandson of Noah, the guy with the ark. Nimrod was a fearsome hunter who established some of the world's oldest cities, and he was a ruthless tyrant with no regard for human life. At one point, Nimrod ordered his subjects to construct a city with a tower that reached the heavens. It was so great, God descended to inspect the project. He said, quote, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. The project infuriated God. He retaliated by mixing up their languages. Before this point, everyone spoke the same way. Afterward, all humans spoke a different tongue and needed translators to understand one another. With no way to communicate, construction stopped. Finally, God destroyed the structure and scattered the workers to the corners of the earth. From that point on, the land was known as Babel. This story probably feels familiar. The Tower of Babel account is one of the most famous from the book of Genesis, an important text that's included in the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim holy books. It's not surprising this narrative would be important in so many faiths. It explains one of the fundamental skills that makes us human, our use of language. Sure, we aren't the only species that can communicate. Dolphins give each other names, and chimpanzees use gestures to relay messages. But even the most complex animal communication systems only convey simple ideas. There's a predator nearby. I found food. I'm looking for a mate. Creatures can't express more complex notions like philosophy or instructions or describe what happened to them an hour ago. And importantly, they can't distinguish between truth and falsity because human language is the only communication system with the ability to express a negative. So hypothetically, you could tell your cat that his new catnip toy is, in fact, his only toy. If he understands the statement, he might express dissatisfaction through body language, by hissing or walking away, but he has no way of actually saying, no, that's not true. Human dialect is special. Our sentences have meanings because of the words that make them up. We can use them to form original thoughts. Then we can rearrange the same words and create new sentences with entirely new meanings. Thanks to our ability to discuss complex concepts, human civilization has been able to develop the sophisticated societies we see today. But as important as speech is, 
scientists know shockingly little about how we learned how to use language. Did humans simply wake up one morning with the ability to speak? Or was it a long, slow process that evolved over thousands of years? We may never know the answer, but we can use our language skills to tell stories about where culture came from. Which brings us back to the account that opened this episode, the Tower of Babel. Interestingly, when we look at the book of Genesis, we find the version told there doesn't quite match up with the one we shared. In the thousands of years since it was recorded, people interpreted it through the lens of their own values or traditions. So now, let's move from the popularly understood account of the tower and see what the religious texts really say. This famous story originated in the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which was part of the Fertile Crescent. Thousands of years ago, this region, which stretches from modern-day Iran to the Mediterranean Sea, was rich and vibrant, home to some of the first civilizations on Earth. Chapter 11 of the Book of Genesis says everyone spoke one language and had just one culture, and everyone lived in Babylonia. The text describes the population as, quote, all the people of the world. But many scholars don't take this literally. They suggest the phrase refers to a kingdom in southern Mesopotamia, which is part of the Fertile Crescent. Many think it was Babylon, as we noted before. And then there's the issue of King Nimrod. He may not have been the evil tyrant he was portrayed as. It's hard to say. According to Professor Carol Backos of UCLA, Nimrod's a controversial figure. While there's no record of any actual Mesopotamian rulers by that name, scholars remain divided about how to view the biblical figure. It's possible Nimrod gets a bad rep because of God's reaction to his building project. Except his righteous anger isn't fully supported by the text either. Some people read the account as being about how God was genuinely amazed at humankind's ambition. He may not have even destroyed the tower. We know the construction reportedly halted, but when it comes to why, the text is vague. Genesis 11.8 simply says they stopped building. So the story of the Tower of Babel may not be an account where humankind is punished for its hubris. To understand its real message, we have to look at the context in which it was written. Some speculate Jewish scribes recorded the narrative, possibly while they were in Babylon after being exiled from Jerusalem. After all, the names sound similar. Of course, it's equally possible the tower's name has a more symbolic meaning. Babel sounds like the Hebrew word for confuse. That's an appropriate word. It could refer to the chaos after all the people of the world started speaking different languages and is also apt for a confusing story that still has some researchers stumped. To this date, debate rages about whether the Tower of Babel narrative is simply a mythical explanation for the birth of multiple cultures, or if it's a true story about a literal giant structure in Babylon. While some may be skeptical about the idea of a real authentic tower, archaeological evidence suggests it may have existed and we might know where it was. Coming up, historians try to track down the ancient structure. 
60 years after the release of their first studio album, the Beatles fan base has never been greater or more curious. Hi, it's Carter. Right now on Conspiracy Theories, dive into the magical mysteries surrounding the Fab Four in a three-part special called Beatlemania. Sex, drugs, death, and more death. The history of the Beatles and their Fab fandom is rife with conjecture. And we're taking on the hits. Was Paul replaced by a lookalike? Did Yoko incite the band's demise? And are there really any hidden messages in their lyrics? So many conspiracies, so little time. Before Swifties, before the Beehive, there was Beatlemania. Catch this three-part special now by following the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to the story. A group of people known as the Sumerians were one of the first to settle the Fertile Crescent. While they lived in ancient Mesopotamia, they built ziggurats, massive pyramid-like buildings made of bricks. It's possible the builders were trying to mimic the hilly geography of their homeland by creating man-made mountains. These ziggurats had steep staircases going up the sides. If you looked up from the bottom, it created an optical illusion of a giant continuous staircase that ascended straight into the heavens. Scholars think the lower floors may have been used for administrative purposes, while the top section had a temple or several temples. However, the structure's main function is still up for debate. In total, there are about 25 ziggurats throughout Mesopotamia. Each was located in a different city, including Babylon. Scholars like Professor Carol Bacos suggest Babylon and Babel are one and the same, which increases the odds that Babylon's ziggurat is the Tower of Babel. Consider, in a collection of holy Jewish teachings called the Talmud, the story of the Tower of Babel is called the Temple of Nimrod, and Nimrod was described as the King of Babylon. But the sacred Islamic scripture, the Quran, sets a story similar to the Tower of Babel in Egypt. In it, a pharaoh, not Nimrod, builds a tower to heaven. We could turn to other ancient accounts to see what they say. And that's where everything gets wild. There are many stories in Genesis that also appear in other ancient texts. It seems these narratives were adapted from or inspired by an older version of the story from ancient Mesopotamia but not the Tower of Babel. It appears to be unique to this text, which suggests whoever wrote it down didn't borrow the story from another culture. Perhaps it was an account of a real historical event. As for the link between Nimrod, Babylon, and Babel, historical records shed doubt on the association. That's because, as we mentioned before, there's not any evidence suggesting Nimrod was ever a king of Babylon. However, there is at least one historical figure who might help shed some light on the issue.
In 586 BCE, King Nebuchadnezzar II destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He captured the Israelites, enslaved them, and brought them back to Babylon. At the time, Mesopotamian settlements were in a constant state of construction. The Near Eastern sun could do a number on the brick buildings. Maintenance was a never-ending endeavor. So Nebuchadnezzar II put the captured Jewish people to work, rebuilding a structure known as Etamenanki. It stood nearly 300 feet tall, with a base of 298 by 298 feet. For context, this means it was almost as tall, as wide, and as long as the Statue of Liberty from base to torch. It was massive. It was also overdue for repairs. The structure was already around 1,000 years old. Some scholars think this was when the Jewish people began writing the book of Genesis, which seems even more likely when we consider that Etamenaki translates to the house of the foundation of heaven on earth. It sounds a lot like a tower meant to reach the sky. It's possible after seeing the pyramid, the Jewish people created their own lore about the ziggurat. Naturally, their captors, the Babylonians, were the antagonists who came to ruin in their desire to build an impossibly tall tower. One translation of Genesis 11.4 says the top was, quote, in the sky. As the medieval theologian Abraham Ibn Ezra noted, even in ancient Mesopotamia, nobody was naive enough to think that they could build a structure that literally touched heaven which may have been the point. Some scholars speculated the story was pure satire, a way for the Jewish people to poke fun at the conceited Babylonians. It's also possible it was a colloquialism, like a modern sports writer saying an offensive lineman is as big as a mountain. The phrase in the sky is found in many writings throughout the ancient Near East. As for the society's destruction at the end of the story, it may have been based on real ruin that struck one city with associations to the biblical Babylon. The Sumerian city of Eridu in present-day Iraq was a hub of trade and religion. Based on historical records, it was founded around 5400 BCE, which means it could be the oldest city in the world. Legend has it, the gods created the metropolis themselves. Of course, such an impressive town had a ziggurat to match. It was likely between 70 and 100 feet tall, with a base of about 210 by 150 feet, meaning it may have been about half the size of Etabananki. Based on excavations of the regions, some scholars believe the Eridu ziggurat more closely resembles the biblical description of the Tower of Babel than its Babylonian equivalent. Same goes for the story itself. The city fell and was rebuilt over thousands of years before its inhabitants abandoned it for good around 600 BCE. Historians aren't sure what made them leave, but one of the most popular theories is that they simply exhausted their resources. As the population swelled, perhaps they couldn't afford to let fields sit fallow. Ordinarily, people probably skipped planting occasionally to replenish soil nutrients. But if there are hungry people now, it doesn't make sense to let a usable field go to waste. If the ground couldn't take a season off to recover, 
This could have made yields lower and food scarcer. And who knows whether they had the infrastructure to deliver clean water to residents or enough stone and wood to build safe homes. Whatever their reason, they scattered, much like the citizens in the story of the Tower of Babel. Then there's the ziggurat of Borsippa, an ancient city just south of Babylon. It dates back to the 18th century BCE, if not earlier. Like Etimananki, it was rebuilt multiple times, both by Hammurabi and Nebuchadnezzar II. From archaeological evidence found near the ruins of the ziggurat, we know at one point the tower may have been destroyed in a storm. They tried to fix it a final time before eventually giving up. Borsippa was close enough to Babylon that the structure could have been mistaken for Babel. And interestingly, the site's other name is Beers Nimrud, possibly after the king who authorized the tower's construction. But that's a pretty weak connection. Lots of words sound similar without being related, and there's no hard evidence connecting Nimrod and Beers Nimrud. So there are many sites that could be the Tower of Babel, but no hard evidence made one the clear-cut winner. At least, not until 2017, when researchers uncovered a relic with the power to change the entire conversation. Coming up, a mud brick changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. Like many ancient texts, the book of Genesis has been translated many times. According to some statistics, the full Bible is currently available in over 700 languages. Fitting, since Genesis contains the story of where all these languages come from. But even among readers who learn the story in the same language, there are many interpretations of what the narrative means. With so many basic facts up for debate, it can be difficult to get a handle on the story of the Tower of Babel and what it meant. It could have been a real structure somewhere in Mesopotamia, like Babylon. But some scholars say the connection between Babel and Babylon is tenuous. Remember, Babel sounds very similar to the Hebrew word for confuse, so the term could refer to God's decision to mix up or confuse the language they spoke. Plus, in the original Hebrew, the word we translate as tower actually means to be large, and it was often used to describe a lookout. When King Nebuchadnezzar II marched the Jewish people from Jerusalem to Babylon, it's very possible they saw a giant deteriorating ziggurat that seemed to reach the heavens. According to biblical scholar John H. Walton, up to that moment, they'd never seen a ziggurat so they didn't have the word for the structure. The term for watchtower or fort might have been the closest descriptor they had. We don't need to rely solely on their accounts to get a sense of what the Tower of Babel looked like. For millennia, various figures have claimed to have seen it in person. 
Many of these reports are based on the idea that the tower was Etimenanki, so we'll follow this thread first. One of the earliest mentions of Etimenanki predated even King Nebuchadnezzar. Nearly a century before his reign in 689 BCE, the Assyrian king Sennacherib wrote that he destroyed the mighty ziggurat himself. In other words, God never toppled it. But there was no way Sennacherib could have leveled such a large building. As Dutch historian Jona Lendering suggests in his article on the subject, nobody had invented the technology to knock over a structure that big and sturdy yet. Around two centuries later, Greek historian Herodotus claimed he saw Etimenanki with his own eyes, even though there's no evidence he was ever in Mesopotamia, let alone Babylon. Then, in the 12th century CE, Rabbi Benjamin of Tudela wrote about the tower and said Babylon's ruins spanned roughly 30 miles. But the most fantastical first-person sighting came from the 14th century travel writer, Sir John Mandeville. The history around Sir John Mandeville is controversial in and of itself. He claimed to be a noble born in St. Albans, England. But scholars agree the name and rank are an alias. Even so, he penned a travel book in French and translated it into a variety of languages. It was a hit! Although almost all of his information was copied from other sources, readers couldn't get enough of his grand adventures. In one intriguing passage, Sir John wrote that the Tower of Babel was 114 stadia tall. If true, that meant it was about 25 times bigger than the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, currently the tallest building in the world. But if Sir John's readers wanted to find it, they were out of luck. He described its location vaguely. It was on the way to the Chaldean state. He said he couldn't, in good conscience, say exactly where it was. The land around the Tower of Babel was dangerous, home to various types of dragons and monsters. Sir John Mandeville wasn't the only person to make outrageous claims about the Tower of Babel. But even widespread misinformation doesn't discourage serious scholars from seeking the actual structure. This means sometimes they find evidence in the most unexpected places. In 2020, a simple brick sat behind a glass display case in the British Museum. One side was stamped with King Nebuchadnezzar's name. The other had a sticky black substance, bitumen, an ancient mortar used to bind bricks together for construction. Genesis 11.3 says bitumen was used to construct the Tower of Babel. And the exiled Jewish people in Nebuchadnezzar's time almost certainly used it when they rebuilt the Etimenanki ziggurat. Bringing this theory full circle is another tablet, which is estimated to have come from the 6th century BCE. Some scholars think this could include the first mention of the Tower of Babel, and it credits King Nebuchadnezzar with the structure's creation. A second tablet, dated to 229 BCE, seemingly confirms Nebuchadnezzar ordered construction of Etimenanki. None of this is concrete evidence that Etimenanki is the Tower of Babel, but it does feel like a distinct possibility. That is, assuming you believe the tower is a real place. 
It's widely agreed that many of the stories in the Bible, like the Garden of Eden and the Great Flood, are likely allegories, not descriptions of literal events. The Tower of Babel account could be metaphorically true, a fictional story to explain the real struggles that real people faced. Accounts say people who created the tower shared one tongue and one culture. According to Genesis 11.4, the structure's purpose was to keep them from being, quote, scattered over the face of the earth, end quote. Like it was meant to be a beacon, a signal to previously nomadic warriors that this was a place they could settle and thrive. This reflects very real social changes from the time. Near the end of the third millennium BCE, cities like Babylon and Borsippa were gaining importance. With the rise of the metropolitan hub came another new phenomenon, urbanization. This inventive way of life arose out of necessity. Without cities, many people supported themselves and their families through agriculture. But as populations grew, crops and grazing herds needed more space to support the additional people. Eventually, an agrarian existence was unsustainable. People needed to find new ways to come together and support each other. But the process of building a metropolis took some trial and error. Some cities may have been established and subsequently abandoned. Others were often erected on top of the older ruins, and this was a recipe for physical instability. Would you feel safe living in a crumbling stone house in a land that's prone to earthquakes? As you might expect, structures fell with some frequency. And when people lost their homes, businesses, and places of worship, their leaders rebuilt. We know King Nebuchadnezzar II reconstructed Edomenanki after the ziggurat fell. There are two ways to view this rebuilding effort. First, you might think the new ziggurat symbolized failure, a second attempt after the initial one collapsed. Or, alternatively, the new 300-foot ziggurat could be a unifying symbol, a sign that no matter what happens to the people of Babylon, they'll keep getting back up and trying again. Let's take that interpretation back to the Tower of Babel. The people build a great tower, develop many languages, and abandon the project. Maybe the writers were really saying, even in the midst of confusion and ruin, the cities would keep being rebuilt. They'd become hubs for multicultural exchanges, pulling outsiders in because they represented safety, opportunity, and to some extent, security. The chaos at the end of the story isn't a divine punishment. It's just a fact of life when you live in a metropolis. Religious scholar Theodore Hebert offers another way to understand the story. It's a lesson in how and why people disperse. In his writings, medieval theologian Abraham Ibn Ezra explored this point. He wrote, quote, God scattered the people for their own benefit. Ibn Ezra explained it's good for people to have diverse stories, cultures, and tongues. The tale of the Tower of Babel doesn't end with punishment, but with God nudging humanity toward the next step in their evolution, a step filled with beauty and excitement and variety. It's a convincing argument. After all, it's hard to imagine a world without a diversity of cultures and languages. 
And ultimately, the question of how we got here may not be the most important one. Instead, perhaps we should focus on the present and celebrate the world's many people, cultures, and languages. And of course, the very different ways we interpret our origin stories. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Jesse Harris, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Bradley Klein and Josephine Cahew, recorded by Alex Button, produced by Bruce Kotovich, with sound design by Kerry Murphy. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. <laughs>